0: we're talking about thriving with hope and we're doing a, a summer in the Psalms to, to understand it, to to really get it. The Psalms are these, these beautiful songs and testimonies that help us understand who God is and, and also really our own feelings. Uh, there are a lot of feelings in the Psalms that are expressed, feelings that we often have and don't necessarily know what to do with. But for millennia, the the, the those who are children of God have been able to go to the Psalms and find freedom and help to understand their life. Our text today reminds us there's hope even when it feels like the guilt of sin is too strong. I have, um, I've counseled with people for many years who have deceived themselves and they try to deceive me. They say one of two things. One is they say, I'm too, I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone for God. God can't save me, and that's a lie. There is no one that God cannot forgive. God's grace is sufficient because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then there are those who say, well, you know, I'm not that bad. You know, my, my sin's not that big of a deal. And they're deceived because sin is a big deal. It's so serious that it costs God his son. He had to die for it. So sin, sin is very serious, but it is It is something that we can be healed from by the power of the grace that we gain in God. We can't, we can't heal ourselves. We're all like Humpty Dumpty. We've all had a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put us back together again, but God can. Luke 18, 27, Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. We can trust him to do it. Now, friends, our feelings are important, but we can't trust our feelings on this. It may feel like we're too far gone. It may feel like the sin's not a big deal. Remember this, our feelings are easily manipulated and constantly change. God and his word never change. They are eternally true and trustworthy. And these true words of God today are going to show us that we can always have hope, that we can always be thriving with hope. Thriving. Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Sometimes it may feel like we're too far gone for God. It may feel like our sin is not a big deal. Here's the truth. Sin is a big deal, but God's grace is sufficient and we can always have hope. Let's understand how. Let's understand what what it is we are to do in light of that. If you've got your Bible, and I hope you to do, let's go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, and Olivia Drake is going to read first verses one through four, so let's all stand together in honor of God's word. As this 10-year-old, I can't believe she's 10, is that right, 10? I remember when she was born. It feels like yesterday, it's wrong. A decade shouldn't go by that fast, but it does. All right, so we go read verses one through four for us. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Bought out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen, if you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Psalm 51 is categorized typically as a penitential psalm. Let me give you a definition on that. Penitential psalm expresses sorrow as a consequence of sin and the desire for repentance and the removal of the source of the affliction. They reveal confidence in and gratitude toward the goodness and mercy of God let 's look at the introduction. go back to chapter fifty one and look at the um, look at the the introduction there to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. and so what we have here is the historical context of this psalm, which is found in Second Samuel chapter eleven and twelve. If you would, go ahead and turn to Second Samuel chapter twelve, and as you do that, let me give you the backdrop so David had committed adultery and then to cover it up, he committed murder and he thought he got away with it. He thought no one knew. He thought he would be able to live the rest of his life with this secret. Friends, let me tell you something about sin. God always sees. God always knows and God is always just as it pertains to sin. So David, thinking he'd gotten away with it, was blessed. He was blessed by God to be called out for his sin. If you have a friend who loves you enough to call you out for your sin, you have a good friend. I don't know that David necessarily wanted this. We, We rarely want to be exposed, but it is grace. It is a gift. And so we read here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David's exposure. And Nathan does it in such a powerful, powerful way. He tells a story and he turns it. 2 Samuel 12, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich men had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb for full, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, "You are the man. You are the one who did this. You are the sinner." it is not hard to imagine the guilt that David felt. Most of us know what it is to feel overwhelming guilt. Friends, know this. Guilt can either be a blessing or a curse. Guilt can be a blessing if it leads us to God. If it leads us to humbly repent and turn to God, guilt can be a great gift or it can be a curse. If guilt leads to shame And a turning away from God the way it was for Adam and Eve. As God called out to them in the garden, they were ashamed. And so they ran from God and they covered themselves with with the best thing that they could do for themselves, which was to make fig leaves. and, And it caused a great curse on them and the whole world. Sin is serious. It's serious because of what it does to us and what it demands that God do. Friends, sin destroys the best things in our life sin destroys our peace sin destroys our relationships it destroys our identity it destroys what god has given to us his love and himself and it demands that god act justly we can look at the cross to understand the justice of god Jesus had to die for sins to save us. And if we do not receive that salvation, the very condemnation that was on Christ remains on you. You have to choose. Either you pay or you trust Christ to pay. Sin is so serious that it required Christ to die on that cross and suffer. Now there are some today who want to ignore sin. And some who even want to redefine sin. And I I can't believe the conversations I'm having these days about people telling me that, that what the Bible teaches, that that's not sin. Things that are atrocious, things that are awful. I mean, conversations this week that, that are things that just, they, they boggle my mind. That I even as a pagan knew that they were wrong. But now in our culture, they're saying, no, no, no that's not a sin. That's not bad. The, the Bible's wrong on that. We don't, we don't need to believe that. We don't need to think that. We need to get a redefinition of sin. Friends, those who ignore or redefine sin, they do that. they do that to their own detriment here's what happens if you ignore sin or try to redefine it your heart your heart gets hard what i mean by that is you no longer have a problem with it your conscience is no longer bothered by what is sin and over time your heart will become so hard god will give you over to sin what that means is it will no longer bother you and it will become a part of your life and who you are there is there is nothing worse than not being bothered by sin. It says in Romans chapter one, verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That's what happens when you ignore sin. That's what happens when, when you try to redefine sin in your own terms. Sooner or later, you become so hard. God just gives you up to it. And you you have a debased mind that can't even think rightly about sin. And then, because God is just, sooner or later, there's justice. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury, a fire that will consume the adversaries. And that's what we are when we sin. We, we are treasonous. We are the adversaries of God. Friends, sin is very serious. We can never take sin too serious. Now, I, I've been accused of taking sin too seriously. I've even been made fun of. There have been people who said, why do you always talk about sin? Why don't you talk about something that's going to make us feel better about ourselves? Why don't, you, why don't you tell us how good we are for once? Why don't you give us something that we want to hear? Friends, if I did that, I would not be a friend. I would be your worst enemy. Because I would be taking from you the only thing that will give you the capacity to deal with truth. And the truth is we've all sinned. But here's, here's the overwhelming truth. God's grace is sufficient and he will forgive us of our sin. The gospel, the gospel is the only way that we can in any confidence deal with sin. See, without the gospel, we have to pretend we're okay because otherwise we're, we're in trouble. Without the gospel, we have to redefine sin. We have to make it something less. Otherwise, we're in really, we're really big trouble. But the gospel, the gospel tells us the truth. The gospel saves. The gospel is that God, the son, Jesus Christ came and he died for that sin. He's been raised and he's now at the right hand of God. And you know what he's doing right now? He's interceding for us. He's our advocate. You know who else is there? The accuser. There's a fallen angel that is there and he day and night accuses each one of us before God. He tells God the sin that we've committed and he tells God that we deserve condemnation. Can I tell you what Jesus is saying for those of us who believe? Can I tell you what Jesus is saying right now on our behalf? Well, first, let me tell you what he's not saying, okay? Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying, God, just give them another chance to do better. Jesus is not standing before God saying, Lord, they're going to do more and they're going to do better. They're going to do more. Look, God, I hear they're going to give more money. Look, I I hear they're going to try to be a better dad, a better wife. I hear they're going to try to be a a, a better person. Let's give them a second chance. That's not what Jesus is saying. What else he's not saying is he's not saying, you know, God, the father, that's not a big deal. You know, their, their lifestyle, it's not a big deal. Let's just look over. It's not a big, look, you know, one day they're going to come and they're going to make this really good argument as for why they, they needed to sin that way. Because, you know, here's what they're going to say, Father. They were born that way. They're going to say, you know, something happened to me. There's something, you know, I can't help it. I just, I just wanted it. It just, it was overwhelming. You know, Father, they're going to come one day. They're going to, they're going to make that argument. Jesus isn't the least bit worried about the arguments they are going to be made. And listen... If you think you're so smart that you're one day going to stand before God and create an argument that excuses you of your sin, you don't understand God. You're going to feel silly standing before God, telling him all the reasons why he was wrong and you're right. Jesus is not asking the Father to give us another chance to do better. He's not asking the Father to redefine sin. Let me tell you what, what Jesus is doing. He's saying, God, Act justly. Do what the law demands. Because what the law demands, Jesus has fully met the requirements of. See, what we could not do and did not do... Jesus has done. Jesus lived a holy life. And then because the wages of sin is death, he gave his life and he paid the penalty for our sin. So let me, I want to make sure you understand this. When the devil accuses you of sin before the father and says, look what he's done. Look what she's done. Here's what Jesus is saying. And I paid for it in full. I have met the just demands of the law. They no longer are under condemnation. They are free from the power and the punishment of sin. That's what Jesus Christ is saying today. That's what we hold to. That's what we believe. And that's why we can be honest about sin. That's why we don't have to redefine it. We can trust that God's word is true. Because 1 John 2 verse 1 is true. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. And that's what Jesus is right now. He's our advocate. He's our legal representative before God the Father in the throne room of heaven. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. That word means he has met the demands for the punishment that is to be given for sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus because he has paid the penalty. He is the propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our, ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, whoever believes in him, no matter what they've done, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life because of Jesus, we can have hope even when it feels like guilt is too strong. And we need to do what David modeled for us in our text today. We need to find the freedom that only comes by, by looking to the Lord and doing what David did. Three things. Take note first, when the guilt of sin is strong, turn to God for mercy, turn to God for mercy. Don't go to God and ask, God, just give me another chance. I'll do better. Don't go to God and say, look, I'm a, let's make a deal. I'll give this. I'll give a little more. Just, no. David did the smartest thing any human being can do. David turned to God and asked God for what God gladly gives. Mercy. Look at verse one. Have mercy. Mercy on me, oh God. Now, what is mercy? Let me give you this definition. Very simple definition. It's different than grace. I'll share that with you in just a moment. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Uh, There was a soldier who committed treason and deserved death. And there was a trial. The emperor was there. And his mother came and asked the the emperor for mercy. The emperor liked the idea that he was a merciful emperor. And so she came and she said, have mercy. And the emperor said, but your son does not deserve mercy. To which the wise mother said, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. So the emperor, wanting to be merciful, said, well, then he is forgiven. Mercy. David cried out to God for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. Look at this. According to your... Notice those two words there. Steadfast love. Those two words are actually one Hebrew word, kesed. This is, a, this, is a, this is a powerful word, Kesed, in the Old Testament. Uh, Michael Card, uh, it, it took him 10 years to write a single book on this one word. It's wonderful. This word is often translated to us with a single word, grace. Now, if mercy is not getting what we deserve, what's grace? grace is getting what we do not deserve grace is getting what we do not deserve a a story has surfaced recently about president calvin coolidge after he'd been elected he was doing some stump speeches to get people excited about his platform and he was in a hotel one morning when he was awakened it was early and there was a burglar in there that woke him up and he startled, him and he got up, and he noticed it was a young man, and and the young man had his wallet and a watch, and the president took the watch, and said, "You can't can't take this. This is a family heirloom." And he put it on, and in the in the process of talking, he took the wallet away from the boy as well, and the boy's kind of standing there, and the president said, "What's your story? Why are you doing this?" He said, "Well, I, I'm a college student, and I have a debt, and I've got to get out of town." And the president, he didn't know he was the president, said, how much do you owe? He said, I owe $32, $32. He counted out $32 and he gave it to the young man. And he told him where the, the secret service would be positioned and how it was he needed to get out of town. He gave him grace. He gave him what he did not deserve. David cried out for mercy based on god's grace david is very clear that he needs mercy and grace look what he look what he says because of his three words transgressions iniquity and sin david used three words to describe the extent of the human predicament of of our of our human fallenness we all have transgressions the willful deliberate rebellion against a superior we have iniquity deviancy pointing to the inner warp in the human heart the fallen human nature and sin the specific fault be it of thought word or deed David asked for mercy he said have mercy on me God according to your grace according to your steadfast love and we all need what David asked for we need to ask God to look blot out our transgressions see where he asked that to wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and to cleanse us from our sin. And based on God's grace and mercy, you know David was able to make this huge request and we all need to make this request. But let me, some of you won't. Let me tell you why. Some of you won't make this request for one of two reasons. One is because of pride. What you're gonna say is, I'm really not that sinful. It's really not that bad. I mean, compared to these people, I mean, compared to that guy, I'm not so bad. I I don't need to cry out for mercy and grace. And so pride will keep you from it or despair. You'll say, I'm too far gone for mercy and grace. What I've done, I, I can't, no, God can't forgive me. Pride or despair. The devil doesn't care which one you choose as long as you don't choose mercy and grace. Friends, choose mercy and grace. Cry out as David did. And realize, I love the way Jack Miller says this. Cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you have ever dared imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. You and I are far more sinful than we can know, but God's grace is far greater than anything we can even comprehend. We need to to seek this mercy. And by doing that, it frees us in the gospel to confess and gain redemption. That's the second thing. When the guilt of sin is strong, confess to God for redemption. David didn't try to pretend that everything was okay. He confessed to God for redemption. He was very clear in his confession. Uh, look, Look what he does here in verse three. He knew that he was a sinner. He said it, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. He knew that his sin was first and foremost against God. Look at verse four. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And he knew that God was just. So, so it says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And he got what he was. He understand perfectly well, verse five, that, that he was born a sinner. There was nothing he could do to change that fact. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David knew that he didn't need a little fix. David knew he couldn't fix it. That was his confession. David knew, and what he was looking for was new life. What he was needing was redemption. And what is redemption? It is this, this what only God provides, new life. And in order to receive this new life, we must be born again, John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this new life it comes through and only through forgiveness. Colossians 1:13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. What is redemption? Look at that. The forgiveness of sin. Redemption is the forgiveness of sin, and in order to be forgiven of our sin, we, com- we must confess that Jesus is the risen Lord who redeems us, Romans chapter 10 verse nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So let me ask you, have you made this confession? Have you confessed that that Jesus is Lord, that he has been raised from the dead to forgive you of your sin? And, And not only have you confessed it, have you professed it? Have you made public profession of your saving faith through baptism? Baptism is commanded. We as believers are to experience believer's baptism. It pictures the fact that not that we have a new, that we have a better old life. It's that we have a new life. Our old life is dead. We've been buried with Christ. We've been washed and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Have you made the confession and the profession that announces what Christ has done? Friends, This is a work of grace. We must cry out for mercy. And when we do, we're free. We're free to pursue and recover God's design. And that's what we can look for. Third thing, write it down. When the guilt of sin is strong, look to God for restoration. For restoration. Not not only does does he give us this, this mercy and redemption, but he restores us to God's design. Not only does God forgive us and give us a new life, he actually empowers us to give us this new life. Look what we gain when we repent and believe the gospel. Look in, in verse six. There's five things. I me mean, just kind of notch you through them, all right? The first one is wisdom. Look at verse six. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. The secret heart is your soul. And so because... The Holy Spirit is present in our soul by grace through faith in Christ. We have wisdom in us that the word reveals to us that we might walk in it. Not only do we gain wisdom and have wisdom, we we gain purity. Look in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Wisdom, purity. And look at this joy. Look at at verse 8. Let let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. One of the craziest things that happens when when you are freed in Christ, you you rejoice even at the hard things that you had to go through for God to get you to the point of redemption. I mean, it's the craziest thing in the world. Uh, My story is is a really simple when you've heard it before. I can tell you my life before Christ how I repented and believed the gospel, June 28, 1988, and how Christ has been at work in my life. That's my story. I can share that gladly. The other thing I can gladly say now is on June 27th, I was handcuffed in the back of a police car. Now, at the time, I wasn't happy about that. At the time, I was embarrassed. At the time, I was scared. And I was, I was very thankful at first that he didn't take me to prison, but instead took me home. And then when my brother tried to beat me to death, I was sort of hoping to be in prison. <laughs> but I was, again, gratefully grounded by my father. One, for punishment, and two, to protect me from my brother. I was not allowed to leave my room. God took me from that very low place to see my need. And now I rejoice that in that moment I said, Lord God, I need you to take over. I don't want to be the guy who gets brought home in a police car anymore. <laughs> I need a new life. And he blessed me. And now I even look at the hardship and pain and the embarrassment. And can I just tell you, I am so glad there were no cell phones in my day. I would have been canceled a long, long time ago. But I have joy. I have joy because I also have freedom. Freedom that he talks about in verse nine. Look at verse nine. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. (laughs) I love that I'm free. Even if someone comes back and said, you know what Pettis did? Here's good news. Jesus paid for that. Well, you know, he also said this. He also paid for that. Did you know he also did this? He also paid for that. Here's the freedom that we have in Christ. Whenever, whenever the enemy assails you and says, you know what you did, you know what you said, you know how you, you know what you can say, I did that and more, and Jesus paid it all. He paid for every sin. And I am free from you, devil. I am free from you, flesh. I am free to stand in the mercy of my God. I am free. And now there's a power. There's a power through the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Let me explain it because it it's kind of confusing. Uh, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from, from your presence and take not your Holy spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now remember in the old Testament, when David was writing before Christ, when the Holy spirit would come, he would come upon a person and he could be taken from a person. When Christ was present to be present with Jesus was to be in the presence of the Holy spirit was to be with the Holy spirit. But 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two in power on Pentecost. And now everyone who repents and believes the gospel, we're born again and the spirit of God lives in us. And the the love of God and the grace of God sustains his presence in our life, transforming us forever. We are freed to pursue and recover God's design. We are free to speak to what God has done for us. And I'm gonna tell you the easiest way to do this the easiest way is, is to just celebrate how, how God has brought victory. We, we understand this victory by, by looking at, I know you've heard this somewhere, about how God's design of harmony was destroyed by sin. Now, help me. What does sin cause? Brokenness. I'm so proud of you. The eight and nine 30, I almost made them run laps for that one. They were looking at me like a calf in front of a new gate, but you got it right out. That's good. Yeah, there's brokenness, but if we repent and believe what the gospel, somebody's excited about it, which rest you would be repent and believe what the gospel we can pursue and recover God's design. And see, that's what the restoration is. It's the freedom to pursue and recover God's design. It's this new life that we actually live in. We're able to experience harmony with God. We're able to battle every day for this new life he gives to us. Now, there are certain things that will happen immediately. For me, I immediately felt conviction over things that never bothered me before. Anger, bad language, never fazed me before. Other people hurting couldn't care less. After I was saved, it was like, who put that there? It was immediate, and I would love to say that everything's going to be immediate, but it's not. You know, I, I want—I wanted it for all of us, me especially. Wanted it to be like this old farmer. You, you probably heard about this guy. He'd never left the farm his whole life. Sent his son off to college, and he got a job in a big city, and so his son wanted his mom and dad to come see this big city so they left now they had never seen a building more than two stories so they go to this city they see these massive skyscrapers and they go to this hotel and they see this really weird room and the dad is really the farmer's really kind of taken by it he he sees these doors that that they open like this now we know it as an elevator but he didn't know what in the world that was and he saw this older lady walk in and the doors And a couple of minutes later, a beautiful woman walked out <laughs> and he looked over to his son. He said, boy, go get your mama. Now, he was thinking that there was a restoration that was certainly miraculous that he wanted to be a part of, right? He, he wanted some of that action. And that's, I think, what a lot of us, we, we want all of a sudden, I, I'm no longer bothered by temptation. I'm no longer, there's sin, I'm not tempted anymore. I, I can live, you know, without any kind of battle. And friends, God does some of that. Remember when Joshua led the people into the promised land? There were certain things that God did, gave it to him miraculously. Parting of the Jordan, the destruction of the walls at Jericho, there was a me, But you know, there were other parts that he said, no, 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 you have to go conquer those people. You have to go conquer those things. And you know what God says to us? There are certain things that I'm just going to, they're gimmies. I'm going to give you some conviction. I'm going to give you and remove some desires. Other things you're going to have to go kill. You're going to have to fight against those desires every single day. And it's grace that enables that. It's mercy that enables that. It is is God looking uh, to bring restoration as we trust in Him. And because of Jesus and this new life He gives, we can be restored and we can be made right with God. Now, look, if and when you're right with God, write this down and don't forget it. Tell others. Tell others what God has graciously done for you. Look in verse 13 of uh, verse 13 of chapter 51. Here's what David said about this transformation. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. He knew, having experienced this, he couldn't keep it a secret. He needed to go tell people his story. He, need to, he wrote a whole chapter of the Bible of, of just his confession of what he had done. He allowed people to know how horrible of a sinner he was so that he could point to the greatness of the grace of God. The best way we can share, friends, is just to tell our story. You don't have to tell all the details. But you need to tell about Jesus. Jesus. How your life was like before Christ, how you met Christ, you repented and believed and how you've been transformed and and not just tell others, but you need to gather with the church and you need to praise God. It talks in here about gathering and praising the Lord. You know, we, we had one of our members a few weeks ago text me to apologize for being a distraction to our church. He said, I'm so sorry. I was so emotional. He said, I, I came down to the front, was weeping while we were singing. And he said, I'm so sorry. It was a distraction. I said, brother, you are not a distraction. You are a catalyst. As COVID's over. All right. So when we're singing, you're free to come and praise God. You're free to come and, and pray as you want to raise your hands, sit down and cry. Do, today, I was just saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's all I could do. Just thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Give God praise. Enthusiastically, praise the Lord. Tell people your story. Praise God. Be humbly grateful for what he's doing in your life. Humbly grateful. Guys, can I tell you what our biggest problem is? Our biggest problem is not the government. Our biggest problem is not big tech. Our biggest problem is not the education system or the entertainment industry. Can I tell you what our biggest problem is? Us. Because we're not grateful for what God has done for us. And we're not grateful and excited about the change that God wants to bring in us. And here's how I know it. Because we don't talk about Jesus. We want to talk about how the government needs to change and the entertainment industry and the education needs to change and everything else needs to change. But we never talk about how we need to change. You know, the best thing we could do is to help people know how humbly grateful for we are for what God has done in our life and how we still need to change and how we are changing by grace through faith in Christ alone and and how it is we're trying to do good. God has called us to tell others. One of my favorite stories of this, and I close with this. In Luke chapter 8, there's a man known as the demoniac. He was filled with a legion of demons. And Jesus saved him, forgave him, removed all those demons. And uh, the city showed up. And because Jesus had cast them into the pigs and they ran over the hill, they were kicking Jesus out of the city. How funny is that? Jesus got kicked out of a city for for saving a sinner. So as the disciples were getting ready to leave and get in the boat, this man said, Jesus, can can I I go with you guys? And it was crazy. I couldn't believe it the first time I read it. Jesus said, no, you can't go with us. Look what Jesus said to him, though. This is in verse 39 of Luke chapter 8. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Friends, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go home. We're supposed to go to our neighbors. We're supposed to go to work and to school and everywhere we hang out. And to tell everybody what Jesus has done for us how he forgave us of our sin because we take sin serious. And because of the gospel, we're free. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask our care leaders to come forward. These are folks who would be happy to pray with you, to talk with you. If you'd like to be saved today, they're here to minister to you. Again, you're welcome to come and just pray at the altar. Or if you want to talk with someone, they're here for you. Let's pray together. Father God, help us to be serious about sin the way you are. And and help us to be free to talk about it and to deal with it because of the gospel. And Lord, I know there are some here today who who are condemned because they've never been born again. They've never received this new life that that they they can have and only have in Jesus. And I pray today they'll come talk to one of these leaders and receive it. God, I also pray for your children, those who have been saved, that Lord, we would would live for sharing what you have done. And Lord, we would pray for those we know who are hurting, who need help, and that we would go and be that help to share with them hope. Lord, bless us to be that blessing. Hear those who come to pray now, hear their prayer. Bless them as they come to talk with one of these leaders for help. And we promise to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.